Hello, welcome to Academy Days, a podcast of fiction stories for teen girls. I'm your host and author, Judith. Welcome to the story. Academy Days, Episode 11, Back to the Attic. Carmen Oliver jolted sideways against the wall of the trailer as her left foot crashed through the floor. A jolting moment later, she found herself sitting on the floor with a scraping, burning pain in her foot and ankle. What happened? Mom yelled and came running from the kitchen, the whole trailer shaking under her feet. This place is a dump. Carmen let loose a sob that turned into a yell. You never listen. I wanted to cyber school so that we could save money and move someplace decent, but you wouldn't listen. Are you happy? Because I've just created a door into the basement. Mom stared down at Carmen. A corner of her mouth jerked. But we don't have a basement. Carmen jerked her foot out of the sag of carpet where the floor had given way and held it in her hands. I'll start on that next, she said, hot tears running down her face. I'm sorry, Carmen. Mom sank to the floor across from her and took Carmen's foot into her hands. Can you move it? Carmen wiggled her ankle. Yeah? Okay, let me help you into the living room, and then we'll clean up the scrapes. Carmen allowed her mom to half-lift her. She stood and leaned against her mom's shoulder. They hobbled down the hallway to the couch, where Carmen eased down onto the cushions. As her mom hurried to find some alcohol swabs and band-aids, Carmen pushed her face into a couch pillow and seethed against the inventors of the trailer home, the person who had sold this box to her nana, and the Christian school that sucked so much of her mom's customer services salary. A door to the basement, mom snickered as she came back into the living room. She started wiping at Carmen's foot with something that cooled and stung at the same time. Carmen lowered the pillow. This is not funny. Mom shook her head. We could use that bridge you made last year for the school tech trials to get across the opening. It never did break and they put 300 pounds on it. Carmen jerked her foot away from her mom's hands. Stop it. This isn't a joke. I hate this trailer. We have to move. Mom gently tugged Carmen's ankle back into easy reach and placed a bandage against the biggest scrape. We can't afford to move, Carmen. We'll be fine. We'll repair the hole. Carmen pushed her face back into the pillow and let her tears soak into the ugly pink palm tree pattern. Mom kept working, but she stopped laughing and making jokes. Finally, Carmen heard rustling noises as Mom sat down on the other end of the couch. I'm sorry, Carmen, she sighed. I don't think it's funny that you got hurt. I just, I don't know how to deal with it all otherwise, but smile. I guess it's one more thing I learned from your Nana. When your dad would show up for one of those rare visits, instead of crying and yelling she made jokes about his motorcycle and that dreadful leather coat that smelled like tar and beer. Mom pulled Carmen's feet into her lap. She cried with me when he left for good, and then, 
She made all the food he didn't like, but we loved. Mom rubbed something soothing into the soles of Carmen's feet, some kind of lotion, and then we went to church and learned what forgiveness does. But even when you forgive, you still need reasons to laugh sometimes. Carmen sniffed. There is nothing funny about falling through the floor when all you wanted to do was get a snack from the kitchen. But there is, Mom said. I mean, didn't you hear yourself, Carmen? You had some great one-liners. Carmen pushed her head harder against the pillow and refused to smile. Mom stood up and pushed a cushion under Carmen's ankles. Let your feet dry before you walk or you'll pick up every piece of lint stuck in this carpet. Carmen moaned, I hate that carpet. No, you don't, Mom said. It reminds you of cotton candy and bubble gum. Your own words. I was four when I said that, Carmen said. Please stop being funny and bring me food. I'm officially couch-bound. Mom went into the kitchen, and Carmen listened for the sound. The sound of Mom getting out two glasses for chocolate milk and two plates for pizza bagel bites. It was that kind of night. Carmen shoved the couch pillow behind her head and stared up at the ceiling. It was also on nights like this that she had to forgive her dad all over again, because if it weren't for his leaving, maybe she wouldn't be going to Lowe's tomorrow with Mom to buy another piece of plywood and a fresh supply of staples for the staple gun. I forgive him, God, she whispered, but I still really, really hate this trailer. Monday morning, Ira plunked down to the seat next to Carmen in homeroom and pushed a piece of paper onto her desk. Our ticket to the attic, he said. Carmen read the brief note from the principal. It gave her and Ira permission to explore the attic for research during study hall. How did you manage this? she asked. Ira crossed his arms. Three words, homemade Dutch noodles. Carmen pushed the permission slip between the pages of her agenda. You bought Miss Mallory off with food. Ira shrugged. I convinced my mom to invite Miss Mallory over this past weekend to make noodles together. Miss Mallory must have felt obligated to show her thanks. He leaned his head back against the wall behind his chair. Food talks, Carmen. And with Miss Mallory, making food talks. I guess she talked to somebody who talked to somebody else, and voila, we have permission to go into the attic. Carmen rolled her eyes. When you go into politics, you do realize I'm going to be the first one to write the tell-all book about your unethical practices? Ira waved his hand. I'll buy you off. Oh, start saving, buddy, Carmen said. That afternoon found them both in the old surface elevator again. They'd convinced Mr. Pella to accompany them since Miss Mallory had already gone home for the day. Remember... Be extremely cautious when moving anything, Mr. Pella said. And Principal Dawkins said we are to put everything back just as we found it. There's some kind of agreement about preserving a historical setting or something like that. He opened a bag and handed Carmen and Ira latex gloves. Use these when handling anything. Carmen thought of what she'd already touched in the attic 
and hoped she hadn't destroyed some great historical evidence. Who knew what Mr. Pella could find in a teaspoon of dust? What if she disrupted a piece of George Washington's DNA? The elevator creaked upwards. I suggest you look for any written documents especially. A newspaper, or even a sewing machine manual, could tell you a lot about the time period when this building was a sewing factory. Personnel may have also handwritten notes onto patterns or quota sheets. The elevator leveled, and Mr. Pella opened both doors. Again, Carmen sensed the mystery of the place in the hazy shafts of sunlight and the piles of undisturbed history. She showed Ira the message on the sewing table as Mr. Pella sped towards the pile of labeled boxes. Here is my sorrow, here is my penance, here is my school, Ira read. Yup, still doesn't make sense. He traced the words with one latexed finger. The grooves are pretty shallow, probably carved by a girl. Carmen rolled her eyes. Okay, Agatha Christie. Ira pulled the cloth completely off the long table to uncover four more sewing machines, but none of them had anything carved into the wood around them. They moved further into the room and joined Mr. Pella at the pile of wooden crates. He was mumbling to himself as he flipped through a set of patterns. Carmen caught sight of a picture on the front of one package. It looked like a pair of pajamas. Ira opened another crate nearby, and Carmen wheeled closer to peer inside. Careful, Mr. Pella said, stretching out one hand as Ira tugged a ledger of some kind into view. Mr. Pella leaned over Ira's shoulder as Ira flipped open the leather cover. Aha, he said his fingers reaching forward as if to guard against any too reckless move by Ira. The payroll ledger. Now here you will see how little these men and women got in return for hours of tedious labor. Ira slowly turned the pages and Carmen attempted to read despite Mr. Pella's nervous hovering. Ira sneezed and the ledger jolted slightly. Mr. Pella let out a strangled yelp and then removed the ledger from Ira's hands. Carmen shifted her chair to get a view of the pages again, as Mr. Pella turned the leaves at a snail's pace. In 1946, these girls were making 75 cents an hour. Can you believe it? Mr. Pella said. You wouldn't catch anybody working for those wages these days. Carmen wished Mr. Pella would go look at something else so that she could read through the lists of workers more carefully. She wondered if she'd recognize any of the names of the older women at church, though anyone who'd worked in the factory post-World War II would be in their nineties now and probably unable to get out much. Ira wandered away, and a moment later something clattered to the floor. Ira? Mr. Pella lowered the ledger to the lid of a closed box and rushed to see what historical landmark Ira was destroying. Carmen picked up the ledger and wheeled over to the sewing table. She started flipping through the pages. Suddenly, in October of 1946, she caught sight of a familiar name, Hope Mallory. Wasn't that the woman from the news article who'd married into the Sawyer family, the one she and Ira believed to be related to ECA's own Miss Mallory? If her name appeared here, in this ledger, then she must have been an employee of the company at some point. 
making 75 cents an hour. According to the ledger, her paycheck after a week of work was a grand total of $30. That was worse pay than what Carmen's mom made working the customer service counter at Yoder's Grocery Mart. Carmen kept flipping through the pages, always on the lookout for Hope's name. There were several others with the last name Mallory, too. Maybe the whole family had worked at the garment factory and lived on their combined income. Carmen chose another ledger from the crate and opened to January of 1947. She automatically scanned for Hope's name. There it was. Hold on. Had she gotten some kind of raise? Her thirty bucks had gone up to sixty, but no one else seemed to have gotten a raise. Had Hope changed positions in the factory or something? Moved to a supervisor role, maybe? Carmen looked more closely at the line of numbers. The space containing Hope's gross pay seemed smudgy, like the numbers had been erased and then re-entered, had someone tampered with the payroll. She flipped to the next pay period. Again, Hope's pay field contained $60 instead of 30 like everyone else, and again, the field was smudged, as if the entry had been changed for some reason. Throughout the rest of 1947, Hope's pay remained higher than her co-workers. Then, in October of 1948, Hope disappeared from the ledger completely. In fact, as Carmen continued to flip pages, she realized all the Mallory names were gone after November of 1948. Strange. Ira? Carmen called. Do you remember the date of that article about the Mallory Sawyer wedding? Uh... Ira's voice echoed against the timbers of the roof. Sometime in 1948, I think. Can't remember the exact date. Carmen looked back down at the ledger. So, Hope had probably worked up until her marriage, and apparently she'd left the drudgery of sewing pockets and collars on pajamas for, what, the comfort of a home financed by the profits of a successful business family? Carmen closed the ledger with a sigh. Sounded like a Cinderella dream come true. Thank you for listening to another episode of Academy Days. Thank you to everyone who has given the podcast a star rating. If you have something to say about the podcast, feel free to leave a written review below too. Until next time, bye!